coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy weekend to you. This is going to be a fly-through show. I've got lots to cover and only a little bit of time to knock this show up because I'm going to go catch the Braves and get my Spencer Strider bobblehead, we hope. Uh, anyway, so it appears uh, as I start this show that we are headed for a government shutdown Saturday night. The uh, GOP House tanked its own funding bill, according to an article from USA Today. Uh, Michael Snell reporting on this. Now, this was... Uh, in conjunction, in tandem, I should say, with uh, House Democrats who were never going to go along with the hold the nation and the economy hostage move from the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, et cetera, and so on. Uh, let me start with the article that dropped a little bit before 2 p.m. today. A band of House conservatives on Friday voted down a GOP bill to avoid a government shutdown. You heard that right. A band of House conservatives voted down a GOP bill to avoid a government shutdown marking a significant and embarrassing defeat for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy with a shutdown now increasingly inevitable. Uh, 21 Republicans joined Democrats in opposing legislation, bringing the final tally to 232 against 198-4. The measure advanced in a party-line vote earlier on Friday. And according to this article, the bill did not stand a chance in the Senate where Democrats were sure to line up against it. And the White House had already said today that they were going to veto the bill. As of right now, there is no clear path on the table to prevent a lapse in government funding by Saturday at midnight. Now, the Senate is going ahead with its own bipartisan continuing resolution, one that House Speaker McCarthy told his members earlier this week he will not bring to the floor. But then again, he actually said we weren't going to have an impeachment inquiry 12 days before he then announced that there would be an impeachment inquiry. So, I don't know. I guess he's potential to change his mind. I, I don't know. Uh, article continues, a number of conservatives have voiced concerns about the Ukraine aid in the bill and the lack of border security provisions. Incidentally, we continue to increase every year. As far back as I can see over the last two decades, border security whether it be immigration and customs enforcement or customs and border protection. Both have seen budget increases every year for at least the last 20 years. And actually going further, I can say that in confidence back to 1990. The only times there were cuts to... Border Patrol's budget was in 2004. George W. Bush was president then. And in 2012. And then a very, very slight dip in 2016. Otherwise, the Border Patrol budget has grown. From $263 million spent in 1990 to nearly $5 billion in 2021. The Ukraine aid? How do you, uh, how do you rationalize with the irrational on this? I don't understand 
how there can possibly be Republicans who are pro-defense and not correlate that giving up on Ukraine, which, by the way, has had some stunning advancements in the last few weeks in pushing back Russian invaders. I don't understand how there are Republicans who are pro-defense, but also anti-Ukraine aid. What we are doing in Ukraine, I, I've said this, uh, did I say it yesterday, day before? What we are doing in Ukraine is so Reagan-esque, it's not even funny. It's what conservatives on both sides of the aisle back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, insisted we do in Afghanistan. A proxy. Literally a proxy. This notion that somehow just ending the aid to Ukraine is going to bring peace to that region, well, so maybe Ukraine folds and negotiates a treaty having ceded property, having ceded land and citizens, by the way, and some of their economy and farm to Russia. So what has Putin learned there? That he could do it again. And maybe not just with Ukraine this time. Maybe he'd be, how was it said yesterday? Looking to get the band back together. That's what Chris Christie said. That is exactly what Chris Christie said earlier this week in the GOP debate in the presidential library of one Ronald Reagan. Hey, he's looking to get the band back together. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, letting Ukraine crumble just motivates Putin to look for the next former Soviet bloc country to invade or put pressure on or to insinuate that he's going to invade. Some of those countries, many of those countries actually, allies of the United States and NATO, and you have folks holding our government spending hostage because they want us to stop funding the Ukrainian war effort. I'm not sure I ever gave you the audio to this, but I feel like the 60 Minutes piece earlier uh, last Sunday was just an interestingly timed uh, provocation for this discussion. I'm going to play you some of the audio, and, and, and of course, there's predictable blowback to this. American taxpayers are financing more than just weapons. We discovered the U.S. government's buying seeds and fertilizer for Ukrainian farmers and covering the salaries of Ukraine's first responders all 57,000 of them. That includes the team that trains this rescue dog named Joy to comb through the wreckage of Russian strikes looking for survivors. And the US also funds the divers, who we saw clearing unexploded ammunition from the country's rivers to make them safe again for swimming and fishing. Russia's invasion shrank Ukraine's economy by about a third, we were surprised to find that, to keep it afloat, the U.S. government is subsidizing small businesses. Good. Good. I know that there are those on the right who are freaking out about this. I Just looking through 60 Minutes Twitter, and I can see the MTG MAGA effect here. What about America's ever-growing problems? Why are we selling out our future for this corrupt Nazi country? This isn't political. It's corruption. 
Sickening and disgusting. Not only are American taxpayers paying for the Antichrist's military, but we're paying for their government operations in Europe. They're literally robbing us and giving our money to another country's people. Defund our police and border patrol, but send money to a corrupt country that Biden has illicit ties with? Sounds great. <laughs> Y'all, you just don't get it. You just, first of all, you're, you're being poorly misled. Well, actually, not poorly. You're being very well misled by an operation, by party, and by punditry and right-wing media to have you believe things that haven't yet been proven. We just had six hours of testimony yesterday in an impeachment inquiry trying to find ties to money going to Hunter Biden and making it to Joseph Robinette Biden. <laughs> A lot of these conversations being had, by the way, when Joe wasn't even in office between the years 2017 and 2020. Make no mistake, y'all. This government shutdown is a lot about two things for some MAGA Republicans. It's aiding Vladimir Putin. It is. I, I, I hate to, I know you're, oh, you're being hard. No. If we want to cut funding or eliminate it altogether for Ukraine, that is an assist to Vladimir Putin. We just had a GOP presidential debate in the Ronald Reagan Library. Do you not think that old fellow would be spinning in his grave? What would Ronald Reagan do? I feel like I need to make those bumper stickers. WWRRD. But then again, the way the Republican Party looks now bears no resemblance to the Republican Party of the Reagan era. And make no mistake, I was no fan. But... I wax nostalgic for the Republican Party of the Reagan era versus whatever the hell we're looking at now. They can't get along with each other. I've said that before as well, earlier this week after the GOP. You got seven on the dais that either can't stand each other and or cannot coalesce on policy, but their opposition party is supposed to somehow govern with them. They can't get along with themselves. You've got fractions within the GOP House that can't get along with each other. Fractions. I said fractions. I meant factions. You have factions within the House GOP that can't get along with each other. And then you've got those in the GOP Senate caucus who are like looking at the House members going, what the f*** are y'all doing? You're about to send this country into an economic abyss. Maybe this is the recession that they've been pining for. And don't think that that's not a glimmer in some of their eyes as well. Hey, we're 14 months away from an election. If we're going to get our White House back, we're going to need that recession. Come hell or high water. Back to the USA Today piece. For his part, McCarthy has consistently said he does not want the government to shut down, arguing that a lapse in funding is not beneficial for anybody. Quote, the number one thing I want here is for government not to shut down. So maybe you're listening and asking, well, Ron, Republicans had Democrats voting with them not to accept this GOP House bill. Well, let me give you a little taste of what the stopgap bill uh, was trying to push through today. It was going to extend funding through October 31st, just a kick of the can down the road. It was also going to impose across-the-board cuts of roughly 30% outside of, of course, military spending, Veterans Affairs, Homeland Security, 
and funding for disaster relief. It also uh, pieced in a uh, border bill, HR2, which was going to boost wall construction. Sound familiar? Hiring more border agents, restricting access to asylum. To hell with, <laughs> to hell with global treaties, right? Along with some other provisions. It also sought to create a fiscal commission, quote, to recognize solutions to attain what was dubbed a sustainable debt-to-GDP ratio and to balance the federal budget. We've talked about that. That is something that is nearly impossible to abide by. This year being a great example. After the Maui fires, the Florida hurricane, we come to find out FEMA's running out of money and they need extra money. And, well, we've got this budget balanced. So, uh, sorry, just going to have to hope and pray for the next four months that nothing comes our way. See how silly that is? So that's the latest as of showtime. More to come on The Ron Show. Next on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the weekend edition of The Ron Show. And if you're wondering, it's Friday. Why don't you just say Friday? Well, here's the thing. The show airs on Friday, and it also airs on Saturday. So I'm trying not to sound too dated, although I'm just letting the cat out of the bag. It's the only time I'm going to do that, all right? A little known story that kind of uh, blipped past the radar earlier this week. You've heard me talk about this before. The folks in Forsyth County are just frothing at the mouth to build an arena, an NHL-capable arena in Forsyth County, just north of the Fulton County line. Well, those uh, Forsyth Arena folks cleared a procedural hurdle earlier this week, and now it goes before county leaders' hands. And I have to tell you, if you're a, if you're rooting for this, be optimistic because I I have, I'm hard pressed to find city and county leaders who aren't ever excited about the notion of making their city or their county a major league destination. The Atlanta Regional Commission reviewed everything about the gathering at South Forsyth and decided, okay, let's uh we're we're okay with this. Let's sign off on this, and we'll let the county leaders figure out how to make it happen. So I'm going to read from uh, Zachary Hansen's article earlier this week at the AJC, a $2 billion vision for an NHL hockey arena. And read a lot into that, folks. It's going to be taxpayer dollars. A $2 billion vision for an NHL hockey arena and entertainment district passed muster with a regional planning agency, a procedural step that clears the path for consideration by Forsyth County officials. Let me explain what the Atlanta Regional Commission's powers are here. They recently finished its development of regional impact or DRI study on what's called the gathering at South Forsyth. We're talking 18,000-seat arena with hotels, offices, apartments, shopping, and dining. A DRI reviewed is required for massive projects that will impact surrounding areas and must take place before local officials can rezone land or clear permitting hurdles. Thank you, Zachary Hansen, for pointing that out in your article. I will include that in today's show notes at ronchoatl.com. So this was first thrown at us in April. Um, and Again, folks who are former Thrasher fans, former Atlanta Flames fans, my goodness, are you still here? Uh, I mean, and I don't mean like on this planet, I mean here in Atlanta. Um, So anyway, folks got really excited about this. And while the NHL has given us mixed messaging about expansion, the commissioner saying, we're not looking to expand, we're not looking for new markets right now. There are, there. okay, so at least one franchise that doesn't really have a home. The Phoenix or Arizona, the Phoenix Coyotes play in a venue smaller than Stegman Coliseum in Athens. 
it's it's tiny by NHL standards. It's I I would argue that the new Georgia State arena would be an upgrade over it. That's how tiny it is, and and the new GSU arena is nice, by the way. So there is talk that that franchise may be looking for a new market, and and why wouldn't you leave one Sun Belt market with huge sprawl and population growth for another Sunbelt market with sprawl and population growth, right? If you can get a sweeter arena deal, you can make it happen. Back to the article. The gathering is pitched uh, to include the arena surrounded by 1,800 apartments, no condos, no townhomes that can be purchased. Apartments, that's more cash grab. A million square feet of new offices, restaurants, shops, all to be leased. A fire station, taxpayer dollars. A community center and up to 500 hotel rooms. The DRI evaluated larger development numbers to slightly overestimate the project's infrastructure and traffic demands. Keep in mind now, Forsyth County, not part of MARTA's footprint. And there's also limited transit services in Forsyth County already anyway. Which to me is the fallacy, and this is where I I believe the Atlanta Regional Commission abdicated their responsibilities here. Forsyth County cannot on its own nor with even just the northern portions of Fulton County, sustain a season ticket base that's going to keep a hockey team of the NHL's caliber in business. They're trying to make this look like what the Braves did. When the Braves made a deal with Cobb County, got the property around where the battery is now, and developed. First of all, that has yet to really pay off for Cobb County or taxpayers. And by the way, no Cobb County taxpayer got anything free out of that. No free parking. I mean, at least give them free parking. Parking is expensive around the battery. No free parking, no comp passes, no discounts, anything like that. I mean, not even a kiss goodnight after a thing like that. So they're trying to make this appeal to everyone that, uh, you know, those who are watching taxpayer spending and fiscal conservatives, fiscal conservatives will be the first to flip. They will. They, they'll, uh, Forsyth County Republicans will be all over this. This is good for the county. It's going to spur development. These things don't spur development. They don't. Turner Field didn't spur development. The Georgia Dome didn't spur development. Mercedes-Benz Stadium itself has not spurred development. State Farm Arena hasn't spurred development. In in fact, there is a now vacated CNN Center right next to it. Had a shopping mall. It was mostly empty. These venues don't spur development. And for those who are going to push back, well, Ron, the Gulch. Okay, the Gulch is another fine taxpayer dollar handout that may well spur development. But it requires taxpayer funds. We just saw earlier this week where uh, there, there's a plot of uh, Eastside Beltline property that's going to be redeveloped for apartments. Got a tax cut. Y'all, I'm in real estate. Can I just tell you? You don't need a tax cut to make money off of land on or near the Eastside Beltline. That was just a giveaway. Just a flat out. And that's all what's going to happen in Forsyth County will be as well. And for me, the worst part is that, again, knowing that Forsyth County and Northern Fulton County, those populations aren't going to be there enough to support an NHL hockey franchise. They're going to want fans from Midtown Atlanta, Gwinnett County, Cobb County, 
to show up, to fill those seats, to do that shopping inside that huge battery-like development. And uh, how are we going to get there? I mean, it's looking like a lot of back roads in Georgia 400 to me. MARTA, not an option. Stops at North Springs. Doesn't even go to Roswell or Alpharetta. And those are in Fulton County. And there's not a dime of money allocated for even the potential future of something like that coming up to the gathering at South Forsyth. So I have to ask the Atlanta Regional Commission, what the hell are you thinking? Why are you not pushing back? Insisting that there be some sort of money put aside, not at taxpayer expense, by the way, that plans ahead for mass transit coming to the gathering at South Forsyth. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. And I am well aware that some people call Twitter X now. That's fine. Pass this on, by the way. I don't know if you knew this, but the... uh, Bridge over I-285 in Sandy Springs at Mount Vernon Highway damaged during a tractor-trailer crash earlier this week. That bridge over I-285 in Sandy Springs is going to be closed until the summer of 2024. David Arrow with the AJC reporting that the Mount Vernon Highway Bridge will remain closed into next year after that tractor-trailer carrying an excavator crashed into it Wednesday, damaging the bridge's beams. Structural evaluations of the bridge were concluded Thursday evening, and it was determined that five of the six beams were impacted and require replacement, according to Georgia DOT spokesperson Natalie Dale. Mount Vernon Highway will not reopen to vehicle or pedestrian traffic until the summer of 2024. Ouch. Anyway, I thought I'd pass that along. Uh, I want to dive into some polling, and the first bit of polling I want to dive into uh, was featured prominently in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution today owned by Cox Enterprises, Cox family, big supporters of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility, the Atlanta Police Foundation. The Jolt headline poll shows strong state support for Public Safety Training Center. I'm going to circle the word state. Why? Why? (laughs) This is what's so funny, y'all. Why are we going to highlight state support for the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility when only Atlantans are allowed to sign a petition and potentially vote on said public safety training facility. That's not even going to be in the city of Atlanta. We weren't allowed until we were, and then we weren't, to even have folks from outside the city of Atlanta who may live in the state even hold the clipboard and hand it to somebody who lives in Atlanta to sign. Who, by the way, had their names, addresses, and phone numbers doxed as the city clerk decided to ignore city council asking them to redact that information before posting all of the boxes of petitions on their website. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of people mad about that. Thanks for making sure that my birthday wasn't included. But anybody who wants to know, address and phone number. And listen, I'm a real estate agent. My realtor board already does that. I'm already getting spam email and phone calls and text messages (laughs) from folks that I have no intention of doing business with, but God bless them. 
The Realtor Board got my $500 for their annual dues, as a matter of fact, today. And uh, they get to turn around and sell that information of mine to those folks. And the city of Atlanta just gave it away for free. Well, I say that, uh, obviously, property taxes mean that they are going to get paid for doing that to me as well. Uh, I digress. Let me go back to the story here. Uh, a new poll highlights the risk for Democrats with statewide political ambitions who oppose the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, hinting at why so few prominent party leaders have argued against the $90 million project. The 2020 Insight poll found that about 60% of Georgia, likely Georgia voters said they back Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens' support for the facility. At which point I would say, so what? Can you boil that down by what Atlanta residents think about this? Hmm. I mean, seriously, why, what does it matter what non-Atlantans think about the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility if they can't even hold the clipboard to let folks who live in the city sign a petition about it in the first place? Is it because the facility would be outside city limits and thus inside the state of Georgia? Oh, oh, now their opinions matter? Huh. It's just interesting that AJC runs with this headline. Uh, by the way, the 60%, uh, about 60% of likely Georgia voters said they back the facility. That's compared to 12% who say they back the movement against the center when posed with a question that lifted phrases from the Stop Cop City website. The division was sharp among Democrats with 43% in support, 20% opposed. The gap turned into a 50-point-plus spread among independents and Republicans. Again, that is statewide. And I also think it kind of goes to show, and, and there's, there's a, there, there, you could get real wonky about the way a poll is phrased and flipping of the questions and first options always, you know, being a little more weighted and whatnot. The uh, poll was conducted by Chris Hutman, according to the AJC, a Democratic strategist who has done work for Dickens in the past. He said he decided to test if the training center was, quote, good politics after Senator John Ossoff recently voiced support for new public safety facilities without explicitly endorsing the Atlanta project. The poll involved 646 likely Georgia voters surveyed between September 25th and 28th, the margin of error, 3.9 percentage points. So I, I went through this thing, and what I didn't see here was the posing of the question. And I, I'm asking anybody, please chime in and tell me, feel free, ron at ronshowatl.com. 404-919-2725. Call or text. Tell me, what's the answer here? Why can we not pose the question in polls? Given the option of spending $90 million for the city to own, a, own and manage a facility outside city limits in an area surrounded by majority-minority citizens who might accuse such a facility of environmental racism, would you instead be for or against the city collaborating at a fraction of the cost with Fulton County, which most of Atlanta city limits are in, on their proposed $50 million, 15, let me make sure I say that right, 15, not 50, $15 million public safety training facility. Put that in a poll, Mr. Hutman. I'd love to, what's it cost? Let's, let's find out. I mean, do I need to fundraise some money to, to, to push that poll out? I, I literally want to know. Like, seriously, if, and I believe this because I myself am a Democrat, I, of course, want police trained well. I watched the Rayshard Brooks video. I'm one of the few Democrats who said, you know what, I have a hard time finding fault with the officers, although I really wish 
they'd have made me watch less of this video before the inevitable demise of Rayshard Brooks because I felt like they just egged this on for too damn long. Like uh, some better training there so we can avoid this conflict. I don't think the cops were were wrong in their actions once he took off and turned and they had a moment, a split second. I, I'm, I'm not, I can't fault the cops for this. And I, I think Alicia can't, uh, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms handled that poorly. But I would like to see officers trained better to make sure we don't even get to that point. I don't think you need an 85-acre campus, a $90 million facility to make that happen. I really don't. But I, I, I do believe, and I understand, when, when, when city officials say, or the police chief says, well, what we have is in disrepair. Okay, well, first of all, didn't your department oversee this? And I know you weren't here for the entire time, but what 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 makes us think that throwing $90 million at another facility is not going to lead us down the same path in 20 years? Will it be in disrepair in 10, 20? Can we not collaborate instead, save some taxpayer dollars? I mean, my God, where are the Republicans on this, the fiscal conservatives? Can we not say, hey, Fulton, if you're going to spend 15, what if we spent 15 too and collaborated together on a better facility for both of us at a fraction of the cost. Fiscal conservatives would be jumping over hurdles to save $75 million, right? If you could save like 80% of a project's budget, get something under budget by that much, would you not be all about that? And yet, I can't find governor, attorney general, lieutenant governor, Mayor Andre Dickens, obviously not a Republican, but I can't find anybody who has spoken this into existence. Why am I the only one even suggesting it? Y'all, I'm just a realtor who happens to do a liberal podcast on an online radio station that I wind up putting the show on a podcast. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, unless I'm the only guy in the room. Sometimes I'm the smartest guy in the room when I'm not the only guy in the room. I'm just saying, why is this like so obvious to me and nobody else, I don't get it. I posed that question to a city council person earlier this week. And I, I, I kind of got the sense that she, yeah, she gets what I'm saying. But why is nobody else posing this question? But at the end of the day, and I don't, I don't mean to dismiss the pollster here, Chris Hutman, Democratic pollster. Okay, good for you. I just, I don't give a rat's ass what the entire state thinks about the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center because they're not giving money to it. I am. The Atlanta Police Foundation is. But state taxpayers are not. So if they don't get to have some skin in the game, why should they have some say in it? Now back to the city clerk posting... (laughs) almost all of my public information and 116,000 other voters. Reverend James Major, uh, Major Woodall tweeting earlier, it is extremely concerning that city of Atlanta posted phone numbers and home addresses of Atlanta voters who signed the cop city ballot referendum. I should not be surprised at how violent the state is, but also here we are completely unacceptable. He also, by the way, as I did push back when former House Representative Carolyn Bordeaux wrote a commentary calling the complex, quote, a well-intentioned effort to improve police training in Atlanta. When he tweeted earlier this week, in fact, yesterday, this harmfully reductive op-ed from Carolyn about Cop City is dangerous. 
In display of a severe misunderstanding of nuance, it shows how an inability to listen to simple demands and engaged voters authentically can lead to drastic policy consequences. One of the major proposals coming out of the Black Lives Matter protest was improved training for police. It was not. The major proposal was for black people to stop being murdered. From Ahmaud Arbery to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, our collective cry was to live. He continues, if crime ticks back up in the city, Stop Cop City will be blamed. Investing in strategies that promote public safety will never be catalyst for crime. Politicians ignoring those for private corporate interests, however, has and will continue to lead to less public safety. Stop Cop City will continue to alienate suburban swing voters. The alienation of hypothetical suburban swing voters is more important to you than the collective voice of nearly 120,000 Atlanta voters that have demonstrated their willingness to have a say in this issue. And he says that is telling. He continues, meanwhile, other critical causes languish. Many of the causes you name are being advocated for by the same people you insult with this reductively tone-deaf op-ed. Rather than engage to understand why we are here, you publish this in the AJC as some political authority and refuse to acknowledge even the slightest bit of nuance. You have misread on the uprisings of 2020, the elections of 2022, and now the dialogue of public safety in 2023. He finishes this tweet tirade. I hope this helps. There is a diverse chorus of voices that speak right now, including yours, but to whom much has been given, much is expected. My hope is that the next time you lean in to learn rather than step on people in ignorance, erasing them with blanket contempt. Here, here, Rev. Do I need to point this out, by the way? There is no belief, I think, from or, or, and even a sense of unanimity from all 116,000 that signed that petition that they are for or against the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. I would wager to guess more than three quarters who signed that petition probably are against the Public Safety Training Facility. I'm less convinced that more than 60% would be against such a facility at all. Understand the nuance. There is the public safety training facility that is being pitched. The one on the piece of property in DeKalb County, unincorporated DeKalb, outside city limits. And then there's a public safety training facility that could be built anywhere on land that is less of a concern to local environmentalists. That is, I don't know, in city limits and not surrounded by minority communities that have already dealt with environmental racism. I mean, a public safety training facility, you might get 50% plus one of that 116,000 who signed the petition to agree to it at a much less cost even. I mean, some of the 116,000 could just have an issue with the cost. When Reverend James Major Wright says to Carolyn Bordeaux, There is a diverse chorus of voices that speak right now. That's what he means. There are many of us, and I I think I've pretty much thrown my hat in the ring here. I'm not against a public safety training facility, something new, something updated, something fitting of the times. I'm just against this one. And I'm curious about the lack of transparency almost from day one. In fact, we only know what we know about the facility now because there's been a growing resistance to it 
necessitating the pro movement to tell us more about it. And that's why you've seen the videos and the renderings and the the maps and well we've scaled it back and there'll be more part that's the only reason you've seen any of this otherwise it would have been rubber stamped and there'd be a lot more damage coming to nearby neighbors a lot less park more concerns about the south river but yo man the city clerk just like flat out just just gangsta style just posted my information up online first of all i'm not intimidated and I don't know that the other 116,000 will be or won't be either. And I don't know what sort of blowback there'll be for that or what sort of implications there are for our privacy concerns. I don't know. I, it's above my pay grade, but I'm not intimidated. Come for me. But understand this. I'm but one person, but 116,000 of us, 30% of the city's registered voters, we get to have our say at some point in time too. I hope that keeps you up at night, guys. Final segment of the Ron Show for the week. And I'm going to take a little break. Play some softball this weekend. Hopefully help some people buy and sell houses. If you ever need help with that in the uh, metro Atlanta area, I'm your guy. Just look for me at social media, at Ron on the Real. Love to help you do that. And I can sit here and talk to you about like, oh, stop, stop worrying about the interest rates. You can always renegotiate those later on. You can even, if you're a buyer, negotiate a point buy down with the seller. And yeah, don't let the interest rates stop you. If you need to buy a house, if you need a place to live and... Keep in mind, even when you're renting, you're, you're paying a higher interest rate because you'll never get that money back. At least when you're buying a place, you're paying into your equity. That's money you get back. Uh, anyway, let me uh, get to a tweet that just uh, dropped here about 20 minutes ago. Tamar Holloman with the AJC reporting. It appears that Scott Hall has become the first co-defendant in the Fulton election interference case to take a plea deal with prosecutors. Uh, Hall being sworn in as part of an impromptu meeting in Judge McAfee's courtroom now. Judge says there's been a, quote, negotiated solution. He is pleading guilty to five counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with the performance of election duties. Scott Hall indicted on racketeering and six counts of conspiracy. He was seen on security footage at the Coffee County Election Board of Elections January 7, 2021, when a team of pro-Trump operatives and forensic data team copied sensitive elections interference. That ain't good for the Trump folks. For a little background, uh, Anthony Michael Kreese, Georgia State University professor, tweeting, Hall is the Atlanta area bail bondsman who was accused of conspiring to hack election data in Coffee County in violation of Georgia RICO and conspiracy to commit election fraud. Crease continues, first offender deal means five years probation, $5,000 fine, a letter of apology to the people of Georgia, 200 hours community service, a bar on election administration work, and Scott Hall must testify honestly in all further proceedings. Going to spend the last few minutes on some uh, more of that uh, 2020 insight polling. Let's see, uh, the folk at Interactive Polls tweeting this earlier when posed the question amongst Democrats for 2026, uh, who do Democrats see themselves uh, backing for governor? Stacey Abrams, 52% of likely Democrats. Someone else is a, a reasonably strong 34%. I mean, for a candidate who has been rallied behind by the Democratic Party twice, 2018, 2022, for her to only be polling 52% at this point. Yeah, listen, losing a race brings baggage. Losing it twice, extra baggage. 
And I think we're seeing that in polling. By the way, for uh, the, the, the GOP side of that, amongst likely Republican voters, not seeing a whole lot of coalescing around anybody there. 73% say they don't really have anyone that they're rallying behind right now. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, if he's out of prison, uh, 18%. Chris Carr, Attorney General Chris Carr, who I believe has made it known that he's going to run, 9%. When you look at uh, favorability, Raphael Warnock, 51% favorable, 42% unfavorable. I think that's across the, yeah, that's definitely across the political ideological spectrum. Brian Kemp, this is a, a prelude to 2026, I think. Brian Kemp is plus eight in favorability at 51%. John Ossoff, also a plus eight in favorability, although he appears to be less known amongst all voters. 44% favorable, 36% unfavorable. Stacey Abrams, however, and again, it's only 2023, three years away from any potential discussion of her running for an office, at the state level anyway, is underwater by two percentage points at 47% to 49%. Just interesting stuff. I... What do you read into this? Honestly, we're we're at least a year, fourteen months away from anything in the twenty twenty four cycle, and Warnock's not going to be on a ballot till twenty twenty eight. Ossoff until twenty six. We assume Brian Kemp twenty twenty six as well. Uh, Stacy and Bert and Chris all eyeing twenty twenty. It's three years from now. What do you, how much do you read into that? I don't know. I like looking at polls, and at the same time. A lot of the polls that were coming out last week, oh my God, we're Biden. And I was like, mm, it's 14 months out. It's hard to really read into a lot of that. I want to see battleground state polls because I don't think it matters what's happening in Iowa. It doesn't matter what's happening in New York or California when it comes to these polls. It's about the battleground states. Show me what our numbers look like in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia. Michigan? Is Michigan a battleground state anymore? It's a pretty solidly blue state. I, those are Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Georgia, I think, are the three that you want to be looking at polls for. And in this same polling, by the way, Donald Trump polling 58% of likely GOP candidates. Also of these uh, 646 respondents, by the way, the question was asked, looking back to the 2020 presidential election, how did you vote? 50% Joe Biden. Donald Trump, 2% didn't get a chance to vote, 2% voted for somebody else, 4% somehow not sure how they voted. And by the way, uh, we were talking about like the the folks who weighed in on Cop City, 36% of respondents voting from Metro Atlanta, 39% from the rest of North Georgia, 25% from Middle and South Georgia. So only 36% of those who weighed in on (laughs) the... Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility were even from Metro Atlanta. And you know that much less of that was actually from the city of Atlanta. I don't know, just interesting stuff. Uh, I'll include that information in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. All right, I got to hit the road. If I'm going to go get my Spencer Strider bobblehead, will he win this high young this year? I don't think so. But hopefully he'll get his 20th win and John Smoltz strikeout record. You guys have a great weekend. Back here Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. And show notes available, ronshowatl.com. 
We'll see you then. Have a great weekend.